0: what would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, a Star Trek podcast told through the lens of leadership development. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining me today. Let's get right into it. Season 1, Episode 16 of The Next Generation. Too short a season. The Enterprise is at Persephone five to pick up Jim Henson's interpretation of an elderly person. I'm, I'm I'm sorry, but this this makeup is just yeah, it is uh it is really bad. I thought it would be so much fun to do my makeup as badly as I possibly can and then FaceTime a bunch of my friends. The Enterprise shares a transmission from Carnas, the governor of Mordan four, states that terrorists have taken a Federation Ambassador and his staff as hostages. They're demanding a Federation negotiator, and Karnas wants it to be Commander Mark Jameson, who is now Admiral Mark Jameson. That's that's the guy they're they're here to pick up. They have six earth days to bring him here. That's that's really so thoughtful of them, right, to put it in earth time? But what if what if the captain was Andorian or a Vulcan? Would they have been thoughtful enough to put it in their time? <laughs> Gotta love 80s sci fi rearing its unique and multifaceted head here, yeah? Long story short, Mordan 4 had a 40 year civil war. Five years prior to that, Jameson successfully negotiated a hostage situation. So he agrees to bring his wife Anne along. My wife and I will beam aboard it. and join the enterprise price's mission because like why wouldn't you bring your family into a potentially hostile situation right we get a disappointing glimpse of accessibility in the 24th century as as he beams over and he uses a wheelchair but you see there there's only there's only steps to get on or off of the transporter pad sure hope he's comfortable he's gonna be spending a few days there i guess he says that he's going to be more than just an advisor on this mission. He's going to be the senior mission officer. He'll specifically control the away team once they arrive. Picard doesn't seem to like it, but he reluctantly agrees. Somehow they get him off the transporter pad. I don't know. Maybe his wheelchair has jets on it or something. I do, I do love how it totally matches the decor on the bridge. I wonder, I wonder if that was a design choice of his or, or maybe he has different chairs based on different starships. Admiral Jameson, the fashionista. We get lots of discussion on the situation on Mordan 4. Troy thinks that there's more here than meets the eye. She says, Carnes has established himself as a powerful man on Mordan. And really feels like he should be able to handle this himself. She doesn't understand why Jameson needs to get involved. Dr. Crusher interrupts because apparently they run medical exams on people when they come on board. Who knew? Jameson looks pretty nervous about it, and Troy, Troy picks up on those feelings. We get more and more and more discussion on the situation. Jameson is, is, is overly confident in his abilities. Picard tries to drill down, asks a lot of questions. He's trying to make sense of this situation that, that really just doesn't pencil out. There's some weird dialogue in here that honestly just, I mean, it just doesn't track well. Jameson has a weird quote. I have found that peace, or the appearance of it, is often a prelude to war. Wow, if that's not cynical and defeatist, (laughs) I, I don't know what is. Anyway, Jameson also sees Karnas as a possible threat in these negotiations. In his quarters, he tells his wife, Anne, that he's enjoying being back in the saddle again. He suddenly, though out of nowhere, has extreme chest pains. He stops Ann, though, from calling for help. He says, this has happened before, and it'll pass. Crusher reports to Picard. We learn that he has Iverson's disease. The first pick, the Sixers select Alan Iverson. Iverson, crush dribble. Iverson. Which causes a terminal degeneration of muscles and motor skills. She's uncovered some untruths that he said in his exam, and she she's pretty concerned that he's he's lying about his health. Picard says that he's eighty five years old, and, and it may be due to his mind failing. He is eighty-five years old, doctor. For some the memory begins to fail. Really? <laughs> we're we're gonna point to dementia in a person that's eighty-five in the twenty fourth century here, where at least at least we've been told that humans live much longer and they're and they're much healthier. Yeah. I don't really like this. Either way, Picard agrees uh, that Crusher can remain on the bridge with him during the mission, just in case anything weird goes down. Picard offers the Admiral to take the con as they approach a star system. He stands up out of his wheelchair and walks to Geordi's station completely unassisted. Dr. Crusher is shocked, but he says he started some new therapies and, and, well, they seem to be effective. In the ready room, Crusher calls BS. There are no... Therapies and no known cures for Iverson's disease. What they observed on the bridge simply is—it's is, is just not possible. We see Jameson in his quarters. It's dark. He's reviewing Carnass's message. Anne comes in and, and, and he stands up on his own. He starts kissing her, getting frisky. I hope you're heading for the bedroom. You stop it. Do I make you, Randy? Yes. Yeah. She's excited. He's doing better, but gets worried quickly says that he looks 20 years younger. Then he suddenly has another bout of chest pains and, and this time she immediately calls sickbay. bay. Crusher doesn't have any specifics yet but can tell that he's ingested something, some unknown substance that apparently has completely cured Iverson's disease. There are absolutely no traces of Iverson's disease. Picard aggressively tells her to figure it out, but quickly backs it off to be a little more cool. Get me some answers doctor, as soon as possible. she agrees and then (laughs) then she she rolls her eyes you see season one tng picard is, is a lot more aggressive than the picard we all tend to think of in this scene it looks like looks like he might be starting to work on that realizing that he's been too authoritative too directive but frankly the the damage has been done pressure already has an opinion of him as a leader his small attempt to correct his misstep was, was met with her just rolling her eyes. Honestly, I love it. But I think, I think what she's really rolling her eyes at is him telling her to do what she's already been doing. When Picard tells her to get some answers, what, I mean, seriously, what did he think she was doing? Did he think that she just you know, found some clues, some indications of a medically impossible development, and then she was just going to call it a day? I mean, did, did he did he think that she didn't know what to do next? <laughs> How insulting. Seriously. Who does this guy think he is? In this discussion between Picard and Crusher, who is the trained scientist? Crusher. Who is a medical doctor? Crusher. Who would have a professional curiosity about this first-time discovery? Crusher. You know, you know who I didn't mention there? <laughs> yeah, Picard. Him telling her how to do her job and then walking off would be would be like me telling a surgeon to, to watch the stitches before they operated on someone. I mean, it's, there's no other word to use. It's it's just insulting. Sad thing is this this happens every single day in the workplace. Some manager checking in with an employee and, and, and telling them how to do what they already know how to do. Trust your staff to do their jobs. Now, if they're in training or, or, or doing something for the first time, yeah, you give them direction. Clue them into the next step. But, but don't, I don't know, don't put your stamp on it, you know, just so you feel like you contributed something. <sighs> Bad form here, Picard. All, all he accomplished was making Crusher feel incompetent and, and ultimately eroded her trust in him. Picard goes on to confront Jameson, who now looks like he's in his 50s. He's walking around, exuding confidence. He explains he got a drug from Cerberus 2 that can potentially de-age people. Uh, a fountain of youth. It takes about two years for the therapies to work. So he ended up getting a dose for himself and one for his wife, And When the hostage situation came up, though, he got overly excited and took all of both of the doses, trying to shortcut the two years. Shears. Hubris. So we have an old admiral, the end of his career, with one more shot at glory. Takes a dangerous shortcut so he can live it up again, and calls him on it. And, and And I love her for this. Did you think about me at all? He never talked to her about this. He just he just did it completely on his own. She she's disgusted with him afterwards. Jameson reaches out to Karnas. He wants to get more info. We learn there is a lot of history between these two. And apparently, um, there aren't any terrorists at all. Karnas has the hostages. His whole purpose is to get Jameson there. You'll come, even if you don't have much honor left. Credit to Jameson. He shares this with Picard. But then he pulls rank, puts together an away team for an armed rescue mission. He comes up with a plan on his own, using maps and blueprints from his time on Mordan four in the past. Dr. Crusher and Troy meet with Anne. They let her know that well Jameson isn't stabilizing. His body, his DNA, they're they're a wreck. Honestly, they're they're not sure he's gonna survive that long, and they just they wanted her to know. Jameson is in the observation lounge. He's looking thirty five years old, if that. Picard gently questions him, tries to get more context, and whoa, does he get it! So when Jameson negotiated for the hostages forty-five years ago, he actually gave Carnass weapons in exchange for the hostages. He 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 never told that to anyone, but eventually his his conscience got in the way. So to make up for it, he gave Carnass's rivals weapons as well. You see, North secretly sold missiles to a harmless country called Iran that would always be a grateful ally. Jameson is personally responsible for the 40 years of civil war on Mordan 4. He lied to Starfleet about it and has covered it up this whole time. He sees this as his chance to, to make right on his huge mistake. As the away team prepares to beam down, he reminds Picard he's in charge. I am the senior mission commander, and I am leading this team. But Picard says he's still captain of his ship, and he beams down with them. But I am the captain of the ship, and I have a right to accompany him. They end up in the tunnels, exactly as Jameson had planned. But Data tells him that the scans don't line up with the maps that Jameson used. He ignores Data, and continues with the original plan. And shockingly... Things do not go well. They get stuck in a dead end, and Karnas was expecting them the whole time. They beam away just as they're getting overwhelmed by his security teams. This is a pretty fun firefight. Tasha Yar and Worf, they they really shine here. Plus, we get some super cool shots of those really fancy early TNG phasers. Dustbuster and Dustbuster Plus Cordless Vax. Just as they beam away... Jameson has another bout of the chest pains. They're getting worse, and this time he ends up in sickbay. Karnas is understandably fired up. He gives them 10 minutes to beam Jameson down, regardless of his condition, or the hostages die. Hmm, I wonder if those are Earth minutes. Jameson's in bad shape. He's sweaty. He's weak. It looks like, I don't know, he's maybe like 21 years old now. Jameson says he's going to die anyway let him go down, and hopefully save the hostages at least. Picard agrees, but both he and Dr. Crusher go down with him. There is an embarrassing amount of time spent with Karnass not believing that Jameson is Jameson. It just goes on and on and on. He has another chest pain attack, which prompts Picard to ask Anne to beam down. You know, because Karnas is about to unleash hell, so, so why not invite an elderly civilian into the fray? Huh. Picard does his best to stand in and negotiate at least an understanding with Karnas, but but all Karnas wants is revenge, nothing more. Anne holds and tries to comfort Jameson, but but he's fading fast. Karnas grabs a phaser, points it at Jameson, but, but he has second thoughts. He says that allowing him to suffer... Is a more suitable punishment than killing him. No, my revenge will be in seeing you live like this. Jameson looks into Anne's eyes, and in a brief and, and really shining moment in this episode, he professes his love for her. Annie, with the golden hair. Flatterer. <laughs> he then quietly passes away, and Carnass wishes him peace. Rest, Jameson. <laughs> a long night and mine are over. What? I mean, he he—he was just going to kill him. <sighs> wow. Well, Carnass agrees to free the hostages and to cooperate. On the bridge, Riker and Picard reflect on the value of age and wisdom. The quest for youth, number one. So futile. Age and wisdom have their graces to I wonder if one doesn't have to have age and wisdom to appreciate that, sir. I hope not, number one. (laughs) Wow. The early seasons of this show really went all in on mid-80s sci-fi, didn't they? I I can't not bring up the sound design, the lighting, and overall ambiance that is direct from 1987. I mean, honestly, it's kind of nostalgic for a guy like me. On the look of this, I'm 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 pretty sure they used the same makeup for Jameson as they did McCoy in Encounter at Farpoint. I mean, that was bad enough, but 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 here's the thing: Jameson is what 85 years old here. McCoy in Farpoint was 137 years old, 50 years older than Jameson. But he was walking, looking 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 like a healthier version of of the Admiral here. I mean, I realize continuity wasn't what it is today, but Seriously, whew, this, was, this was not great. While this wasn't an offensively bad episode, I, I think I understand why I really didn't remember any of it. There was, there was so, so much just talking in this episode, and, and, and so little actually even happened. I honestly think the core concept of the show, you know, wanting to go back and make something right that caused untold devastation, it, it, it's a good, good and interesting story. But this got wrapped up in a halfway fountain of youth story and spent so much time, well, talking about itself that that, that we, we we didn't get a good look at this concept. That said, I'm I'm absolutely going to talk more about it in the command codes. I have every confidence that Clayton Rohner is is a good actor. I mean, he has a long resume, including you know a minute in Ozark. But wow, this, this was this was not a good role for him at all. Overacting and an almost comical impersonation of an older person. And a character that can't decide if it wants to right or wrong or or just relive past glory all make for a well, a a less than stellar performance. I did really enjoy the firefight down in the tunnels. Looked good and, and, and everyone was really into it. I even, I even liked that Picard insisted they keep their phasers on stun, even though Carnass's team had set theirs to kill. That was a nice touch. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. Command codes verified. When they were in the tunnels, Data immediately told Jameson that his intel was flawed. Jameson just blew him off and stuck to his original plan. To put that into context, Jameson is going off of what he remembers from 40 years ago. 40 years. You'd think someone with a service record like his that that led to him earning the rank of Admiral would understand that things change, especially over long periods of time. His decision to ignore new data from data (laughs) almost cost the lives of the away team. We encounter this in our lives as well. Let's say you're planning a project, a significant one, maybe implementing new software or a new product line. First, we'll, we'll make the huge assumption that you're practicing good project management and you're actually, you know, planning. But if you've, if you've ever done this before, you know the time between planning and execution can, can sometimes be pretty long. I've been on some projects that have, you know, had a few months between those phases and others that have had years between them. In either situation, things change and you have to adapt to those changes. As an example, let's say, let's say you're going to open a new store. You develop floor plans, put together foot traffic flows, research, telecom options, POS systems, you know, all that stuff. You're ready to execute, but the person responsible for leasing the building ran into problems, and uh, they ended up leasing an entirely different building. It has a dramatically different layout, and I don't know, about 80% of what you planned just just won't work anymore. Now, the fault isn't with the person handling the lease. They updated you with this info nine months ago. You just ignored them, kept going. And that's, that's exactly what Jameson did here. When you're leading projects or work teams or even daily operations, you need to pay attention to the facts, to the data. If it changes, you need to be able to change with it. In the context of this episode, had Jameson listened to data and aborted the mission immediately, Carnass wouldn't have had any cause to escalate the situation so suddenly and violently. There could have been a very different and much more peaceful outcome had, had he just listened and adapted. So now, let's talk about the big part of this episode. Jameson, rightly, (laughs) blames himself for the 40 years of civil war on Mordan Four. Now to be fair, Karnas totally could have stood up and worked for peace. He's to blame as well, but, but none of that would have even been an issue had Jameson not trafficked in and supplied weapons. This episode is about him nearing the end of his life and wanting to make right his biggest regret. The guilt from what he did and then hiding it and lying about it have haunted him for for half his life. In the end, though, he can't make it right. Millions were killed in the Civil War. Karnas still rules over the planet. Plus, in his attempt, he endangered the Enterprise and the hostages in his approach to doing this. This story screamed two words at me. Personal Accountability. When we're accountable for our actions and our behaviors, we can make things better. When we hide from them or make up stories, things can get exponentially worse. Instead of just a work-related example, I'm, I'm going to use a parenting example here. Kids, kids do some bad stuff, yeah? A lot of it innocently. You mean, they just don't know, right? And we talked a lot about addressing that in the learning curve episode recently. But it's a very different experience when they're honest about the bad stuff they do. This gives parents the opportunity to, to teach. When my kid was in pre-kindergarten, she came home from school one day with some Pokemon cards. We gotta wrap some Pokemon. You just do the singing. I'll take care of the hard part. Let's get it on. No big deal, right? Except we had never bought her any Pokemon stuff at that point in her life. But we asked her about it. First, she said a classmate had given them to her. Then, the story changed, and the cards had just fallen into her backpack. If you if you have kids, this, this likely sounds familiar. Well, I didn't have to call anybody from Law & Order or get a Bene Gesserit Truthsayer to know that we're being sold a bill of goods. We asked questions, prompted her to change her story, and encourage her to tell the truth. Which she did, eventually. At that point, though, we we felt compelled to to discipline her. Not not so much for the Pokemon cards. We we disciplined her for for lying. Now, had she just told us what had happened, we would have had her return the cards, and we would have helped her, I don't know, like write an apology to her classmate. Instead, it ended up being this whole unpleasant ordeal for everyone involved. I hope I hope some of you can relate to that. Okay, now let's get to the work related. If you're a human like me, you've made some bad calls in your career. You said the wrong thing, maybe blew off an assignment, skipped a meeting, hired the wrong person for the wrong reason, fired someone inappropriately, I don't know, lied about work on a project, inflated a cost, fudged a budget report. You get the picture. Mistakes will happen. And the dirty secret not a lot of people will tell you is that some of those mistakes are intentional. Not all of them, right? I mean, motivation for mistakes can range from laziness all the way to malicious intent and, and anywhere in between. But most mistakes are not intentional, but, but, but some some are. And the thing about mistakes, especially mistakes on work that matters, is that someone will eventually know about them. Now, our human nature, our, our first instinct is, is likely to lie, to, to cover it up or to blame someone else. The sad thing about that, other than the obvious, is that now you've taken a situation and possibly, possibly exponentially exacerbated it. (laughs) Sorry, I just wanted to say exacerbate. It's a it's a fun word. While some of these mistakes are intentional, most again, most are not. In fact, I think I think that the vast majority are, are just honest mistakes. So let's say let's say you recently closed a large and exciting deal with a customer that a partner brought to you. Those are the best, right? Everybody wins when you work with your partners. A few months later, the customer asks about some other services. Normally, since a partner brought them to you, you engage the partner and work with the customer together. It's that partnership that makes deals like these work. But you don't engage the partner. You just take care of the customer. And and in the process, you end up moving some items from the first deal onto your paper as, as, as part of the refresh. Now, we'll assume this was just an honest mistake on your part. You were in a hurry, you were excited to work with a big customer, and you just, you just accidentally overlooked the partner agreement that, that a lot of people worked on. A little time goes by and everything seems to be okay. Until the partner checks in with the customer and they talk about the great deal they just inked with you. Uh-oh. In the blink of an eye. You've got VPs, SVPs, even, I don't know, a C-level executive involved. You have a choice. You can either own that mistake or you can try to bury it. Jameson would have tried to bury it. And then a valuable relationship would fall apart. And your company would, at best, be wiping egg off its face. So you own it. You just take personal accountability for what happened. You don't hide anything. Now, the focus isn't on what went wrong. The focus is on making it right. That's, that's a huge distinction. When people look for what went wrong, they're looking backwards. They're trying to make sense of a thing that has already happened. And while there's value in that in terms of like an after-action report or a review after the fact, if it happens in the moment of the crisis or the issue... There's literally no good that can come from it. When people focus on making it right, they're looking forward. In fact, in this example, it's an opportunity to strengthen your relationship with the partner. You can demonstrate integrity, honesty, and accountability, which build trust. And the key to that is taking personal accountability. Ideally, Jameson wouldn't have supplied weapons to the factions on Mordan 4, but he did. Had he told Starfleet that was what had happened, had he taken personal accountability, they could have intervened and brought their full forces to resolve the situation, or or at least stave off the violent, never-ending civil war. Instead, though, he never told anyone, and millions upon millions died. And he passed away, carrying the guilt of that. There are endless articles, videos, books on personal accountability. I really want to encourage you to explore them. It's a rich topic and one that I look forward to exploring again in future episodes. I want to know, what what did you think of this episode? Do you think I should have focused on uh, more on the Fountain of Youth story? Do you have any examples to share where you or someone you know or knew took personal accountability and averted disaster? Let me know. I'm on all the social media at Jeff T. Aiken, Jeff T as in the quest for youth, a K I N. And thank you. Thank all of you for sharing this podcast. I really appreciate it. All right, let's see what we're going to watch next time. Working. We have a discovery episode. Point of Light from Season 2 came up, but if you remember, because of the season-long arcs for Discovery, we're just going to take the next one in order from what we last watched when the computer gives us a disco episode. So we'll be watching the fourth episode of the first season, The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry. That's the second longest episode title so far in all of Star Trek. So until then... Ex Astra Scientia Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour.